It says here, Mark. Oh, right. Ladies and gentlemen, before your very ears, we present another high-fibre, low-sugar, carbon-free, tree-hugging, vegan, lip-smacking, dolphin-friendly show, sort of, which we call The Beetle Places Podcast with Mark and Cole. At least, uh, it was the last time I looked. Uh, is it you? Hello there, Beatley people. Nice of you to drop in, and I've hoovered especially, and got the good biscuits out mm. for everyone, mostly me. We've washed and brushed up for yet another exciting, nay, enthralling episode of Beatle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. <sighs> you got to run at that one. Ah. Episode 8 in a series of 3089, and if anyone's counting, and uh, it's even less with good behaviour. So, after a major revamp, a wash and a brush-up, and the purchase of a brand new biro, we are now 10% funnier, 16.6 more beetly, and essentially 8 and one-thirds less sarcastic. Don't mm. you agree, Mark? No, I certainly don't. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's an app you can get, uh, you can check that anyway. I'll look it up later. Yeah, uh, you probably have to pay for it. Yes, Mark and Carl are back with a further additional episode of the Beetle Places podcast, for your enjoyment and approval, we hope. Oh, we hope. Oh, yes, we hope. Delectation as well. Oh, we more Another than hope. chance to extol the greatness of John, Paul, George and Ringo, and more commonly known as Freddy and the Dreamers. <laughs> uh, no, they're not. Uh, they're the Beatles. I'm sorry about that. I, didn't, I wasn't in my best typing frame of mind. I like uh, Freddy and the Dreamers anyway. Well... Uh, Right, uh, the Beatles, yeah, can you type Beatles. slower next time? I will, I will, I will. You're I will, getting I will. ahead of yourself. I will, I will, I will. Uh, and as with every other Beatles podcast, we look at the formative years of the band here in Liverpool and provide you surprises galore into the bargain at no extra cost. Gratis for free too and some green stamps. Uh, as, as, as much as that. Aye, SNH stamps. And <laughs> now, the only downside to this show is all that wonderful stuff is you have to hear us do it. And we do all the talking as well. So however and as ever, the show's crammed with all the usual great Beatle features and items that, to keep you amused and entertained while you're doing your knitting or hopefully uh, we don't you don't drop a stitch in the process. Or maybe you're just practising making those chair legs in your lathe in the back kitchen. So hello everyone and welcome everyone. So uh, that's that. <coughs> so what's in this episode I hear you say? Ah, do you? What's in this episode? That, that's me saying. Very good, bit, very good. You should be on a stage. I, I think so, yeah. The landing stage. Yep. Oh, <laughs> oh yes. Well, my fellow cohort, mate and part-time brick hypnotist, the great Marco, drum roll, will tell... Oh. Yeah, let's get on with it yes. anyway, right? <clears throat> yes, and I can, I know, well, the good news is I appear in the show several times <laughs> for a nominal fee. As for everything else, get well soon. Uh, well, only <laughs> pulling proverbial. In fact, in, in matter of fact, we have a host of Beatles stuff today. The terrifically good Beatles trivia quiz. Oh, you only say that because you do it. Ah, well, you know, I've got to, I'll dig through and see what I can find. Ooh. So, uh, pens poised for that. More fiendish questions to befuddle and betwixt you. Blimey. Is that the right word? They're all bees, I, I know that. Aye. Uh, we have this month in Beatle history. 
which uh, this month in Beatles history and not this moth in <laughs> Beatles history has <laughs> called type. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's stuck. The keyboard stuck. Well, it looks like you got the keys the back to <laughs> back to front of the typewriter. Like There's uh, no particular order. The Beatles book review and Cole's Beatles places album review. So it all adds up to another winner, I think. Oh uh, yes, I can hear the podcast awards being awarded. Uh, uh, being awards being shipped to Cole's front parlour. As we speak. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, um, uh, I don't know, a washer or something like that. <laughs> yeah, tap washers. Right, let's get on with it. Right, well, what marvellous mark, thank you very much, forgot to mention, and only because I haven't typed it till now, is that we'll also include some special features. We always do this. Uh, a chance to surprise you with something or some things you perhaps never knew about Liverpool or the Fab Fawson. So, um, we haven't failed you today, by the way, either. So this time, and uh, especially for you lot, because you've been good, we have the story of the black music pioneers of Liverpool, the people who influenced the Beatles themselves in Liverpool during their fledgling years. And in addition, we're going to chat about the fairly strange story of the Hamburg Star Club Tapes Treasure Trove. That sounds like a episode of uh, Murder, She Wrote, doesn't yeah. it? Um, so, so now you know as much... <laughs> As we do, let's <coughs> commence. So, faces on stun. Right. Tartan slippers on. Oh, aye. Let's roll. Okay. Woo, super. Yes, indeed. So, it's mirror, sickle, manoeuvre, left leg out, and don't forget, a splendid time <laughs> is guaranteed for all. You're back in the room. Oh, thanks. Well, let's firstly energise that grey matter of yours with, with the uh, terribly tricky Beatles trivia quiz. An old chestnut of a favourite, and thankfully Mark's here to present it. So I'll pass you over to the Master of Ceremonies himself, Mark, replete in his mortarboard and gown, oh. twiddling a glued-on handlebar moustache. Here he comes now. E, right. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick some lyrics uh, at this time mm, okay. and uh, see if you can guess which mm. song they are from. Am I allowed to look? <coughs> Certainly not. Oh, what do you think this is? <laughs> um, I thought it was my O-level geography all over again. Right. Um, what should I pick? This, that this one. Is ex this is exciting, Yeah, this it? is when it gets exciting and that's when it stops being exciting. The first one. Yeah. I am going to pick is a couple of lines from a song, and I yeah. want to know which song this one okay. is. Okay, here we go. Don't want to cry when there's people there. I get shy when they start to stare. Which song is that from? I'll have to remember this for after because I'm going to do it again, and I won't find the page number. You know what? I nearly, I nearly answered because I'm thinking that. No, 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 right no, now. no, no, no. I know no, yes. not. No, no, no. I shouldn't. Yep. Stop it. It's not for me to get into. In Naughty the way. boy. Uh, and the second song I want to know uh, where these lyrics come from. The lyrics are, are you ready? Hmm. You and me, Sunday driving, not arriving on our way back home. Which song is that from? That sounds like Mike Satnav. <laughs> really? Yeah, <laughs> the, one, the one I threw in the bin anyway. <laughs> and uh, here's, a, here's a dead easy one for question number three. He bag production... He got Walrus Gumboot. Which song is that from? Yeah, it sounds like right. you're flicking through a dictionary when you say that, but I know it's a song. It is. Yeah. So uh, that's what I want to know. Those three lyrics. Wow. Um, I'll give them to you a bit later on. Once I uh, write them down, 
and uh, make a mention of uh, what I'm going to do with it all. Okay. Thank you, Cole. Yep, all sorted. Okay. Yeah, it's half of that. Didn't hurt, did it? Okay. All yeah. right, you ready? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah. cooking on the electricity now. <laughs> it says gas here, but keep... I'm just doing that to fool you. So uh, just to keep you going, it's, uh, let's join Carla on the other side of this decorating table. <laughs> Watch what you do with that paste. Uh, <laughs> now his voice is broke uh, to hear him. They've kicked him out of the Vienna Boys <laughs> Choir. Me, me, me. Presenting our other regular feature, the Beetle Places album guide oh, yeah, to the right. Fab Four. Yeah. This time it's the 1966, 1967 Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Can't, I haven't heard of that one before. Oh, well, let me... Let me uh, let Fill me, me in. Let, let, let me in. I will later on in the alley outside. Right. Um, yeah, and thanks, Mark, for that um, uh, sort of uh, introduction. Yeah. So... Uh, all right. We are talking about the Beatles album, Beatles Places... I'm getting it wrong now. The Beatles Places album guide to the Fab Four. So, our toes aren't tied. We're just a little bit excited because we've got a show to do. So, many thanks to our Mark for the Beatles trivia quiz. That'll keep you keep you busy for a bit because lyrics are inevitably tricky ones to get right. So, uh, let's hope you get the answers anon. Include Mark. He doesn't know what the answers are yet. I have a clue. So, that must mean it's my turn to give you something in the show. And it's this. It's the Beatles Places album guide to the Fab Four. This time it's the album, uh, the well-known album, I, I hasten to add, Sgt Pepper's Lonely Arts Club Band. You might have heard of it. One of their lesser-known works, admittedly. Uh-huh. So, Sgt Pepper, the album, was recorded between December 6, 1966 and April 1967, and it was released in June of that month, of that year. Um, it's always been a year since Rubber Soul was released and the band had been churning out two albums a year up until then and then anything uh, post Candlestick Park they just retreated to the studio didn't do any more tours and they concentrated on making a new album but the fans wanted something for the band around Christmas 1966 as they'd gotten used to them being around at that time of the year so as a kind of a concession Brian Epstein crossed, coaxed the band into releasing a single probably their most wonderful single really there was a double a it was strawberry fields and penny lane the best double side single ever by anyone always and uh, still they stayed in the studio where so when the album itself saw the light of day in june 1967 they kind of surprised everybody by how good it was the album was innovative it was surprising basically it was brilliant on every level so the album cover even broke so many rules of album making um, and we've got the Beatles to thank for doing it so long ago. The tracks, as you may need reminding, and maybe not. Side 1, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Arts Club Band, intro. With a little help from my friends, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Getting Better, Fixing a Hole, She's Leaving Home, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. That was on side one. That was just on side one. Side two was made up of Within You, Without You, When I'm 64, Good Morning, Good Morning, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Reprise, which is good, and A Day in the Life. It all added up to 39 minutes and 43 seconds of something quite sublime. So there's a great BBC documentary from a musician guy called Howard Goodall on the making of the album, which I recommend you go and see somewhere, which in terms of musicality explains it far better than I can, far more eloquently anyway, and even better than I ever could do even sat here in my bath. So he mentions in the show that they even used nine pianos for the final major, uh, 
final E major chord on the last part of A Day in the Life. So that's nine pianos. The skill and the sound engineering genius of George Martin can't be ignored because on tracks like Mr. Kite and Lucy in the Sky, he used very speed on the vocals and loads of little tricks like that. Uh, and don't even forget that road assistant Mal Evans chipped in once or twice. He even played the piano. Though the album cover itself was quite unique, possibly the first to print the lyrics of the songs on the sleeve. I might be corrected on that, but uh, to me it felt like the first one. Uh, and the, the big gatefold inside uh, and the Peter Blake photograph of the band uh, in an imaginary brass band ensemble picture uh, was something quite unique and uh, the whole thing cost about £2,800 to construct but who wouldn't want that now and how much would it fetch on eBay today so copied to death ever since the 57 people in the background uh, who were staged behind the Beatles as cutouts included people like Mae West who was a Hollywood starlet of her time W.C. Fields the uh, absolutely wonderful Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy Stu Sutcliffe was in there, Lenny Bruce the comedian was in there, even the philosopher Carl Jung and themselves all, and uh, don't forget the Beatles themselves get uh, two goes at the picture because they're in in the background in their old mop top style as dummies and uh, there's far Wax, waxworks weren't they? The, uh, yeah, the, uh, yeah, two sword waxworks Two sword waxworks wax yeah. And there's, there's loads of others so mm. my favourite uh, in the background is uh, Stan and Ollie uh, and uh, there's also a local Liverpool footballer called Albert Stubbins. Uh, he was a famous Liverpool football club player, but actually the, the man wasn't local. He was a Geordie. He came from Newcastle, man. A place called Wall's End. Um, so for Mark's sake, I want Mark to answer me a question now because I'm going to give him a little pop quiz. Oh, this is right. exciting. Who wore what in on the sleeve? Right. I won't so look. Who wore what coloured coat on the sleeve? So who wore the blue coat? I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I haven't looked on purpose. Was that Ringo? Oh, close. Uh, it was, it was, you got three other guesses. Well, I'm bound to get it eventually, aren't I? Look, give us a chance now. Paul. There's Paul then. All yeah. right. Who wore a yellow one? I didn't uh, think it suited him, but who uh, wore a yellow one? All right, that was Ringo then. Oh, he's, do you know what? Two in a row. He's got two wrong so far. Right. That was John. Ah. Yeah. Uh, who wore a pink one? Uh, that I'll give was you a clue. Then. It, it, was, it was the last two guys you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> Ringo! Ringo, yeah. And, uh, I and knew that, I was and right. The last one, apparently in orange, I don't even recognise it as orange, George. So here's right. another question for you. Who played what? They were holding instruments when they were, had the pictures took. Right. So who held a flute? A flute. Um, I don't know. Well, there's a big flute. It was George. Um, a trombone. Uh, who held a trumpet? A trumpet. Uh, that would be Paul. Well, you'd think so, because you know a little bit of back history about uh, Paul playing a trumpet. No, Ringo. Oh, all right. Who played, who held onto a French horn? That's a bit more memorable. No, I would say John. Yeah, it was John. And that left Paul with uh, probably the instrument you can't even remember. The spoons. Uh, yeah, and it wasn't the spoons. No. And that xylophone never did get a, a, a look in, did it? So he, <laughs> he, he, uh, he had a court anglais. Was that woodwind? Uh, yes, I think it's a very old, uh, yeah. old English. Core um, I just thought it was. Uh, it's it's uh, it's French for something. Could yeah. be cul-de-sac. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the uh, the the song, and in conclusion, the song lyric of Sgt Pepper starts with "It was only twenty years ago today." But for the last 55 years, the truth is that Sgt Pepper has been the most highly rated, influential album by anyone ever. With room to spare, so you uh, you beat that, Hermit's Hermit's. Right. 
And there you go, that's the Beatle Places album guide, this time around Sgt Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Well done. Well, hello everyone, this is Beatle Places Podcast with Mark and Carl. And funnily enough, I don't know why I did I'll get that. the bucket out. <laughs> I'll start again. It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. And funnily enough, it's time for this month in Beetle history. What do you know? So luckily Mark is here and he's back in black and fully refurbished and refreshed from plucking his eyebrows. To don't present tell everybody. Well, sorry, I, you, you mean oh, you beautician. You keep doing this, don't you? Well, you know, and embarrassing me in front of everybody. So. You tell that to beautician. Yeah. Anyway, so it's all yours, kidder. Right. Well, um, I'm just uh, picking a month, any month. Uh, this month, it's it's uh, May. Potluck. 19, 1964. Oh, right. Um, when everybody seemed to go on holiday. John and Cynthia, George and Patty flew to Honolulu on holiday. But they were chased by the press all over the place. And they left Honolulu and went to Papiti in Tahiti. And a reporter asked John, why are you leaving Hawaii so soon? And John snapped back at him. George was asked, how long would you stay in Tahiti? To which he replied, an hour. (laughs) So they they chased all over the place. Paul and Jane, Ringo and Maureen, took a holiday in St. Thomas, Virgin Islands. They travelled under aliases. Uh, Paul was Mr. Manning. Jane was Miss Ashcroft. Ringo was Mr. Stone. And Maureen, Miss Cockcroft. They left for Luton Airport and flew to Paris. Left, left from Luton Airport, sorry. Flew to Paris and then they flew to Lisbon where they spent a night in the Ritz Hotel. Wow. Very now right for oh, some, oh, isn't it? Yes, it is. And um, also on that day, May the 2nd, an exhibition of Stuart Sutcliffe's paintings opened at the Walker Art Gallery in Liverpool. So that's what happened on May the 2nd, 1964. Wow, a bit of recognition, uh, but a little late. So they chased all over the place um, well, could, yeah, on could, a little holiday. Yeah, but... but uh, uh, it doesn't feel as though they had a bit of privacy, really. That's no, really what no. they craved, isn't it? But, um, I don't, uh, Stuart Clifford, is, has, he's had an uh, exhibition since then, hasn't he? I'm sure yeah, we, the yeah, in Liverpool itself, yeah. they put it, put his stuff on once or twice. I'm, I'm underestimating that, probably four or five times. But since, since his stuff became known... Um, I would easily say he's been featured in Liverpool. He certainly does the tour around the world in terms of what his pictures are. Uh, you, you notice them in Japan, you notice them uh, in America a lot. And uh, they'll come back to Liverpool at some point and we'll go and see it, won't we? Right, yeah. So that was May 64. Mm. Uh, just whizzing forward a year to uh, May 65. And um, they started, uh, well, they were filming um, Help then on Salisbury Plain. They spent the night in the Antrobus Arms on Salisbury Plain, uh, filming at Twickenham, backwards and forwards, filming a new Bond Street, Ringo filming at Twickenham. Oh, yeah. Uh, all over the place. And uh, they recorded uh, two rock and roll numbers as well, uh, Dizzy Miss Lizzie and Bad Boy. It was aimed at the American market. Uh, yeah, good songs too. Good, yeah, good yeah, rockers. Didn't do that yeah. well in... This country, but yeah, uh, I think they know, got they got featured on uh, the, the, the uh, Rarities album. Aye, yeah, if I remember mm. right, because they never did appear on proper albums. No, no, not my favourite ones, but there you go. Well, you got to like what they do. Didn't you know. Aye, aye. So uh, that's what we did. Oh, in this month or those months in Beatles history, May '64 and '65. God bless them. Super. You want the best. You expect the best. You deserve the best. So while you're waiting, 
Here's the Beetle Blazers podcast with Mark and Cole. Well, Mark's a marvel, isn't he? And uh, he's so good to his family too, because he, he stays he stays away a lot. <laughs> anyway, oh, more yeah. of this month in Beatle history <laughs> next Still time a lot of round. On me this week. <laughs> this is Beatle Places podcast with Mark and Cole, and you're welcome to it. It's house trained, and the hits just keep a coming. Because now it's time to do the Beatles book review. Uh, when we waste our money on telling you what not to waste your money on book wise. So this time uh, it's me flying solo. I think Mark, if you don't, if you don't mind. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you don't mind. Um, yeah. uh, no, no issues at all. But one of our favourite authors is going to get a mention today. Little known, little uh, little Tommy produced. Uh, one of my favourite Beatle authors, the best author there is on the Beatles, Mark Lewison. And I'm going to feature this book about him. It's called The Beatles London. And it kind of inspired uh, me and Mark to uh, go and see what we knew of the Beatles in Liverpool and started off a whole thing when we just went around to see every Beatles location there possibly ever was and maybe more. We we didn't invent any, we just went to the ones we figured out. But uh, Mark Lewison had a go at this in London and uh, God bless him, he's done a fantastic job of it. Uh, what he's done, as a, for instance, is he has found Beatle pictures of note that you know of them well, and he's gone back to where those places were, and he will tell you where exactly the Beatles stood in those pictures. This could be cityscapes, this could be countries, country lanes, this could be outside uh, film sets. And uh, the thing about it is he goes through all the various districts of London, of which there are lots, there are places like Chelsea and Kensington, Belgravia, Maida Vale. <clears throat> These are little divisions of uh, London that I don't really know too well. But uh, Mark Lewison's found them, and any any weird and wonderful old Beatle pictures, he's gone back, photographed the place as it is today, given you a location of where to find her on the map, and uh, you take it from there. He, of course, he's going to give you a little potted history. It includes uh, St John's Wood, and St John's Wood is where Abbey Road is, and Abbey Road uh, gets a big mention because we talk about the photography of Abbey Road. goes into quite a lot of detail. He, in fact, he goes through all of the famous six photographs that happened on Abbey Road that particular day when uh, they were photographed crossing for the album cover. And let's say, for instance, picture, uh, picture one uh, that was took of them crossing the... Zebra Crossing. John was leading Ringo, Paul and George walking from left to right. A white Mercedes is pulling out of the EMI Studios entrance on picture one. Picture three, from left to right, Paul has taken off his sandals and remains off off from this point. So in other words, uh, what I didn't know was um, picture one, Paul had his shoes on at that particular time. So Who he was alive then. Huh? He was <laughs> up to that point, then the bus hit him. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a lovely book in terms of old pictures, later pictures. Uh, Mark Lewis is such a detailed fanatic. He has got uh, old adverts for the hotels he stayed at, menus of things they went to. Uh, he, he just went to town on this particular thing about the Beatles in London town. 
it's a lovely book because um, I never knew lots of places like where they had sneaky little drinks after they'd, they'd done some recording. They, uh, the detail is wonderful. Uh, you never know, unless you go to London, how much there was in, uh, in the Beatles' life in London because they spent the latter part of their six, seven, eight years in London and not so much in Liverpool anymore. So while me and Mark have covered the Beatle places in Merseyside, to uh, the nth degree, and uh, there's thousands of them. There's thousands of London uh, locations that you should go and visit. Now, that particular book is uh, by Mark Lewison, and Mark always picks me up on this, so it's produced by Portico. Portico. They're the publishers, They're the they? publishers. And how much did you spend on it? Oh, buttons. Where um, did you get it from? Did you buy it in a bookshop? I or think you I found bought, it second hand. I found somewhere. it second hand online. And uh, yeah. it's called it's little it's a little wee book. It is, it's about seven hey, inches. A like a single book. single size. It's about the size of a seven inch single, yes. It so is. Uh, quite chunky. Aye. Um full of pictures, full of details, uh, love it to bits. Um, uh, my my kind of book. And it uh, made me think, oh I'll do one about Liverpool in that case, and uh, we did. Uh, it's it's great. Beatles London, Mark Lewison and Friends. And it's been uh, commented by the Beatles publicist, but Derek Taylor, who said, far and away, the most interesting Beatles book ever assembled. You know, you can't beat that. Excellent. So there's it. That's it. No more. The Beatles book review is done, dusted. Well, excellent. Thank you. Hi and hello, it's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. And not a bad case of deja vu, as you may have first have thought. <laughs> Okie doke, Beatles peoples, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, hope you're enjoying this stuff, what we are doing. Yes, it's been a while, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. It's feature time again with the former Miss New Brighton. Hello. So, <laughs> <laughs> Miss, oh. Miss Concrete Coal Bunker, 1968. <laughs> That's uh, Colin there. Uh, <laughs> or formerly known as Noreen Smith. Mm, very nice. He still wears a sash as well, folks. <laughs> <coughs> Interesting one this time. It's about the black music pioneers of Liverpool. Isn't it, Col? Oh, yes. Earth calling, Col. Yeah, yeah, come in, please. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. De- Are you deeply involved in, in have my... I got, have I got to pay you again? No. <laughs> Is there a metre at the back of my head? There's something there. Oh, yeah. Anyway, folks. Get on with it. Thanks, Mark. Lovely intro. Yeah, we're featuring our feature time again, because it's time for a feature. It's the Black Music Pioneers of Liverpool. Um, we have uh, lots and lots of them to speak of. And, um, you know, you've got so much to be uh, appreciative of what the Beatles did. And I previously mentioned the importance of the the many local uh, black musicians who greatly influenced the up-and-coming Mersey beat musicians, and, and none more so than John and Paul and George, because they were always hanging around the various pubs uh, where these people played, and uh, Liverpool has always been a kind of a melting pot of people in the 50s and the 60s, maybe even a bit earlier than that, and uh, that included musical styles and tastes as well. So. Liverpool in the 1950s and 1960s had always had long-established areas such as Liverpool 8, where the Nigerians and the Somalians, the Chinese and the Caribbeans all lived together, and they set up their many cultural centres, including little social clubs, little community centres, and inevitably their music sort of trickled out and was played and enjoyed elsewhere. So as early as 1952, 
there were places like the Palm Cove Club, which is in a place called Smith Down Road, quite near Penny Lane, where they used to play reggae and jive music for dancing. And, of course, in due course, American black music influenced them again, and doo-wop music turned up on the scene. And it wasn't too long before local groups played that sort of music, local groups. And some of the some of them were singers who didn't master their instruments, they mastered harmony in singing like that. And some were very talented and some actually did play rock and roll really well because they were great musicians, as it turns out. And when they played in the local venues up in that district in Liverpool, like word got around uh, about how exciting their music was. And soon it was, there was no stopping the local people. It didn't matter what race they were, they went to go and see them. And uh, regular places like the White House, White House Pub, which was in Duke Street, or the Masonic Pub, which was in Berry Street, quite close to Chinatown, um, that was great for visiting folk who came in fresh from being at the cavern or the Iron Door themselves, and this, these places were open even later than them. So this included the John, John and Paul and George who wanted to see these bands playing because they could learn a lot from them, and they certainly did. The only thing they didn't do was join in. Uh, amongst these uh, pioneer musicians were people like Walter. Walter Wally Corliss, uh, who was a local guy anyway. He was just a great guitarist who dedicated... Uh, playing the guitar for hours and hours and be perfected all the tunes he heard and he was one of the first people in Liverpool to have a Fender Stratocaster which seriously impressed a lot of musicians or up-and-coming skiffle players like John and uh, people like that who wanted to be guitarists uh, and he formed a band called the In Crowd, I-double-N In Crowd and uh, four nights a week he used to play at the White House Club pub so, uh, obviously, you know, you could go up and see him a couple of nights a week and enjoy that, but uh, other people around in, on the scene of black music was uh, Vinnie Toe. He was a very early influence on John, and uh, especially with Chuck Berry licks and rhythm guitar playing. So Vinnie himself often visited the cavern and uh, joined up with John, uh, lunchtime gigs and stuff like that, often giving them guitar hints and tips. Um, mentioning other people, there was a fellow called George Odie Taylor, who was uh, living up in Mossley Hill, not far from uh, uh, Penny Lane again. Odie was a very popular performer around the Liverpool late scene. He was a jazz guitarist, but he still had the uh, sort of talent to play all kinds of styles that were coming out, Motown, early, early uh, doo-wop and early rock and roll. And he certainly drew the crowds to places like the White House Pub, the Pink Parrot Club and the Palm Cove, amongst others. So his friend and fellow musician, a fellow called Raymond Dean, he rem remembers when John and Paul and George came up to see them play. And uh, there was George gawping at him playing his guitar licks at one of the uh, later Beatle gigs. So they all became friends and uh, uh, they, they have mentioned them in interviews of how influential they were at the time, but their admiration was more obvious in the things that they took away than just copying them. So that was impressive enough. So, uh, who else got mentioned? A fellow called Raymond Sugardeen. Uh, again, a local lad. He enjoyed singing uh, harmony. He was taught by his mother. And uh, he formed an a cappella group called the Earls. He regularly raced in, uh, in local areas like Huskisson Street, not far from where all the students lived who went to the art college. And he met up with a mate of his called Joe Ankra, who sang in a, a band called The Shades, later known as The Chance. And I've mentioned The Chance on a previous <coughs> podcast. So um, you'll realise that uh, people like that often did make a big influence. They, they always drew capacity crowds wherever they played in Liverpool and Birkenhead, in, and especially in the heart of the black community, where, where their attendance was always a mixture of 50% black and 50% white. 
So it just shows how influential and exciting the black music was. Uh, there's several other black musicians who deservedly need a mention, but regrettably there's just not much in the way of details about them. But as you already know in your Beatles story history, um, they were certainly around, especially playing um, steel pan uh, mu music in the Jacaranda. People like Zanks Logie deserve a mention. Randolph Logie was his real name. Fitzroy James, who came from Trinidad, and he played at the Jacaranda on a steel pan drum. Uh, a fellow called Fitzroy James, Jerry Gobbin, and uh, together they were steel panists, which, means, which meant they just sort of hit steel pan drums and made music that way. And they were the first band to up sticks and leave Liverpool and go and play in Hamburg. So they are very influential indeed. So uh, what I like best of all is somebody I've never really found out about was one of the band in that band who went from Liverpool to Hamburg from the Jacaranda was a fellow called Everett Estridge. Uh, and he went with a mate of his called Clive Seeley. And they were known as Bones and Slim, but I don't know which is which. That's the only thing I'm annoyed at. I never found that bit out. <laughs> so uh, a small and a yet important appreciation of the black music pioneers in Liverpool in their time. And how much of an influence they were on everybody, not just John Paul and George. If you love the Beatles as much as we do, then that's twice as much as we half expected. Is that right? It's the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Cole. And thanks very much, everybody. Okay, it's about that time when we refresh our memories with the questions that Mark gave us in the Beatles trivia quiz. If you're ready and your pens are poised, here we go. Right, I asked you, um, well, I gave you lyrics from uh, three songs, and I want to know which uh, songs they were from. Ooh. So um, I gave you, I get shy when I start to stir. That's right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I get shy when I start to stir. And that was it, right? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to cry when there's people there. I get shy when I start to ah, stir. Ah, yeah. So what song is that from? Okay. Any idea? Have a think. Uh, the other next one was uh, two of us sending postcards. Were which song was that from? And finally, he bag production. Yeah, the weirdest one of all. Always yeah. very cryptic, Lennon, wasn't he? Which song was that from? Okay, there you go. Very okay. Thanks, Aye. Mark. Right. The Beatles trivia quiz answers coming up in a future or two. Time now for a little wee feature, a bit of an odd one. You might enjoy it. Who knows? The Hamburg's Tapes Treasure Trove. It's all to do with a place in Liverpool called 20 Hackins Hay, which is not far from the cavern, as everything seems to be is. Um, and uh, here's a story about it. Sometime over December 1962, the Beatle performances in Hamburg were recorded by a stage manager called Adrian Barber, who's just a, uh, a local musician who went over to Hamburg like the Beatles. And he was uh, basically hired to be a stage manager. And on one of the many nights that the Beatles played at the Star Club there, he switched on a very simple Grundig tape reel recorder and a single microphone. And Adrian Barber gave his tape recordings that he made that night of their show, onto another Liverpool musician who was coming back home. He was also performing in Hamburg at the time, a fellow called King Size Taylor. And King Size Taylor brought them back home to Liverpool. 
And, uh, well, what he did was, um, he, he did nothing with them. He just held on to them, little tape. And as the Beatles so slowly and surely became famous, King Size Taylor allegedly offered these very raw recordings to Brian Epstein for how much? Have a guess. Uh, 20 quid. 20 quid, yeah. Was it that yeah, right? it was 20 quid. Well done, Mark. But Brian Epstein turned them down. So King Size Taylor held on to these tapes. Simple as that. So the story goes a little bit like this. <clears throat> King Size Taylor was then handed them over to a local recording engineer, a fellow called John Seddon. And he had a little uh, small recording business uh, tucked away uh, in Liverpool in Hackins Hay, a place called Studio One. And uh, Seddon was a local businessman and salesman, friend of Bob Waller. Yeah, Ringo knew him, George, Paul and George, and possibly uh, Mike McCartney too. Uh, in 1965, some years later, John was uh, John Seddon, that is, was working for a pirate radio station called Radio Ca Caroline. Uh, based in Liverpool, as it goes, uh, in a place called Lord Street. And he, at that time, he was producing pre-recorded programmes for the pirate ships to use, uh, using the uh, facilities at Cavern Sound, which is a little business next door to the cavern itself. <coughs> in spite of the now obvious financial potential of the Star Club recordings, nothing came of it. So nothing was made. So more time passed uh, so it's finally said that uh, King Size Taylor finally teamed up with an old Beatles manager, Alan Williams, always in for a penny and a pound. And he discussed these tapes uh, one time over a lunch. And he said he had these old Star Club tapes of the Beatles, a bit rough and ready, but he still had them. And uh, this led to the pair heading back to where Seddon's business was in Hackins Hay, which mustn't have been a couple of hundred yards away, knowing those two. And uh, this led to them going back there to try and reclaim the tapes at the studio. And uh, as it turns out, the place was uh, derelict. It was empty. And there was a night watchman there who checked on the shops in Hackingstay. And when he came across Alan, Alan Williams and King Size Taylor, he, uh, he was convinced to help them. And uh, they gained access, probably illegally, and uh, allegedly into the now derelict building. And this was around 1973. And reportedly, that's where they found these little reel-to-reel -reel tapes. Still there, still in a box. So um, this is the bit that's hard to swallow, but that's how the story's been told. So it was then reported that Alan Williams approached the Beatles via Apple Core, And this time he offered the tapes back to them. This time for how much, Mark? Um, well, I'm looking at... Oh, you there. know the answer. Uh, £25 million. <laughs> <laughs> £5,000. £5,000. And they turned them down. So, so Alan Williams and his mate, King Size Taylor, approached a fellow called Paul Murphy, who uh, created a, a record business for this very recording called Linger Song. And uh, he said, look, can you make them into something? So they made an album called The Beatles Live at the Star Club. And it came out in 1977. I bought it. Um... And much later, the Beatles went to court over this recording, arguing that they didn't agree to the recording in the first place and they were drunk when they did, when, if they it did at all. So, uh, good or bad, it's still an interesting little record to hear. 
Um, and it's one of those weird ones because you know it's them and then sometimes you notice it isn't them singing. It's uh, The fact is the recording included waiters singing and bar staff singing and uh, just joining in. But um, it's the Beatles all right, but it's not quite as good as you might think. An evening with the Beatles and a few other people as yeah, well. Yeah, say, and a few other, pe- few other hundred people. Uh. But that's the story of the Beatles live at the Star Club album, the, the Hamburg Treasure Trove. So there you go. Tell very much. So now it's time enough to wake up Mark Glynis. <laughs> sounds awake to me. And to get the answers to the Beatles Places trivia quiz. Ta-da! Wake up again. Oh, You're working me hard this week. As, uh... I know, it's been a while, we're a bit rusty, aren't we? Ah, yeah. Right, well, what I asked you was uh, three questions, three lots of lyrics, and three songs. Um, I want to know uh, which songs they were from. So, uh, first of all, I gave you Don't Want to Cry When There's People There, I Get Shy When I Start to Stare. And that's from I'll Cry Instead. Oh, it is, isn't it? It is. I'll Cry Instead. Uh, And the next one was uh, Two of Us. uh, Which bit was it? I read out now. Uh, Two of Us Sending Postcards, Writing Letters on My Wall. And that's from Two of Us. Yeah, the song is. Too That's nice. a nice little song, actually. Isn't oh, it? Too yeah. mm. <coughs> I won't sing it. Yeah, and I get the feeling that was a very early Beatles song that they put on the, uh, the one of the later albums. Yeah, yeah, like one oh nine, one after yeah, nine oh nine. They, they dug it up again. And uh, finally, I gave you uh, He Bag Production. He got a walrus gumboot. And that's, of course, from Come Together with uh, lots of other strange lyrics. <laughs> Here come old flat top. <laughs> Uh, he got oh no sideboard. Oh, that, that's when Chuck Berry sued him, isn't it? Because he said, you're copying my lyrics in mm. there. And he did. Go he away. won Spinal Cracker. Yeah. Very good. Never he tried won, them. He won Mojo Filter. And that's where the, uh, the magazine, Mojo magazine, that's uh, that right? the album reviews in the back. Ah. says the Mojo Filter. And ah. that's where it comes from. So oh, that's right. from uh, the album. You, from the you album, live the and song, learn. You live and learn. Come together. Hey, that's very good of you. Thanks very much. Just a much. little uh, sparkly bit. It was good, yeah. I, I always think uh, the lyrics as wacky as they come. They were wacky all the time, really. I mean, they were pretty uh, pretty straightforward in the beginning, but uh, they enjoyed being mysterious with the lyrics and it, it, leaving it to interpretation. And, and I think in a podcast or two from now, we'll certainly talk about I Am The Walrus one way or the other. Um, and break break down all the lyrics in there because we can explain quite a bit of it now. Polythene palm stuff like that's a weird oh, yeah. one. Get a dose of air and jackboots and kilt. She's killer diller when she's dressed to the hilt. Yeah, and that's the way I'd say it as well. He said he wrote that one in India where, uh, and he recorded it using a thick Liverpool accent because it was supposed to be about a mythical Liverpool scrubber dressed up in a jackboots and kilt. Lovely. Sounds very nice. Uh, Don't want to meet her on a dark night. (laughs) There you go. Anyway. Thanks, Mark. That's it. Uh, So anyone who got them all right, well, you give yourself a pat on the back, but only if you're double-jointed. Well, according to my sundial, I think we're nearly all about done here, son. (laughs) The battery on mine's run out, my (laughs) sundial. 
<coughs> I won't argue with this time as uh, my bus is due in a minute. Oh, well. and, uh, oh sorry. I've got to wash my undies tonight. Uh, we'll put <laughs> another special edition uh, for you together um, next time, you yeah, yeah. listeners. So uh, we'll take a trip to the pub first to talk it over. And, uh, so maybe we'll, you will talk about a pub quiz quiz in a pub? Yep, yep. Yeah. and a trip to the chip shop <laughs> Great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so a quick pint in the Lord Mayor's Undercrackers. <laughs> that's just down uh, the road, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah that's right. <clears throat> mm. So that sounds tickety-boo and quite grand. So on top of that, we'll chuck in a few more quizzes like Mark's marvellously done. And we'll have some trivial pit stops along the way just to keep it lively. So we're going to return. And uh, before you know it, we'll have another Beetle Places podcast before you can say... Jack Robinson. Jack Robinson. Oh, sorry. Didn't say say, Jack. I was being metaphorical. You said you were being what? Anyway, I think wishing one and all well, and we'll catch you all next time with a Beetle Place podcast with wonderful Mark and marvellous Carl. Toodle. Thank you. Pip. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, who's this Jack Robinson bloke? Tell me about this. Be, uh, uh, do you know him? <laughs> big guy. You must have been. He's no, not so small. Very tall bloke. Blonde bloke with black hair. Yeah. No, no, no. That's his mate. Ah, yeah. Ah, and, and he's also got a cousin called yeah. Keith, and, and right. so on. Uh, is it over? Yes, it will be. Oh. Thanks for listening to the Beetle Places podcast with Mark and Col. We hope to see you again real soon and don't forget to visit the gift shop on the way out.